Um, I've been over a few times. I remember coming over a couple of times when you were in the, the literal upper room. Yeah. Down, yeah, and and then I've been here a couple of times. And and actually, um, it, it's I don't know what sort of over spiritualized stuff and and reasons why the enemy tries to stop you doing things. But you know, I've been intending to come here for the last few months, and every single time, something happens that stops me coming. Um, and I guess um, for me, I, I, I've got a, a real, I've got a real passion for unity. Uh, the guy whose um, uh, lounge we met in, Rob Scott Cook. So Rob uh, is a real man of faith, um, and he's mid seventies now, uh, and he's a guy that I've journeyed with for the last thirty-five years, and he's the man that really has inspired me. And he's a passionate man. You'll know him, Simon, too. I know, uh, man of, 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 of just lives that sense of uh, of, of unity. And, and I guess I must have absorbed it in uh, in some uh, shape or form. I think it's just fundamental to seeing communities and, and cities um, uh, transformed. And um, uh, and I had a real heart. Um, we, we have something in, in Bristol, uh, a theme actually that, that Rob very much um, championed, uh, of Bristol being seen as a city of hope. Um, and indeed, we, we now have a plaque um, in the entrance hall to City Hall where 25 years ago there was a plaque put up as a we were city of sanctuary. And then just four or five years ago, um, a, a second plaque was put up, uh, Bristol City of Hope. Well, in a real sense, and I won't—you'll know the story of a little prophetic confirmation when I was at one of these um, meetings um, about three years ago. Just confirmation, a real heart that that sense of of uh, city community of hope wasn't just for Bristol; it was for Bath, uh, and it was for Western. It was a sense; it was a regional um, sense. So, so the uh, Western Superman, thats right. Um, uh, well, Western here as well, but Western Superman. Absolutely, absolutely, um, and uh, and I still journey with that, and I have a real sense. So, so for me uh, to be able to come along from time to time and see what God's doing here uh, in Bath is is a real uh, a real privilege, um, and uh, and and sensing uh, that you guys coming together is a real indication there is that sense of hope growing uh, that there's something happening in bath uh, that's that's uh, that, that's exciting and i thought um maybe this morning i need to keep aware of time because i could probably talk far too long um uh, i i just sort of share a few things that i guess are, are, are sort of principles that i i sense where we're learning and to put into to practice what god sort of teaching us a little bit about the whole way that we might see a city like Bristol um, transform for the kingdom. Um, and, you know, I could probably, as I said, I could talk, I'd talk ad nauseum about them, but maybe just to try and um, share a few a few thoughts and a few stories on the way, um, if that's okay. Um, and um, uh, Bristol is a city of about 465,000, so it's a little bit bigger than, uh, than, than Bath. Uh, it's a very diverse city. It's, it's always been seen as a divided city. It's that, it has that history of the slave trade. It has those associations, uh, which obviously hit the national news relatively recently with Black Lives Matter and the Colson statue. Uh, and of course, we've got a mixed race mayor, Marvin Rees, who's a, a great friend. Uh, and also Christian. In fact, we met. Uh, we meet monthly with Marvin. Just a few of us. We met at seven o'clock this morning, uh, just to pray with him. Uh, and at the moment, praying, you know, what the future might be post Marvin, but also post Mayor. You may have picked up. We had a referendum recently 
um, and I'm sad to say uh, I'll put my marker down. You know, I was not in support uh, of uh, the decision that was taken to um, do away with the mayor. Uh, sometimes uh, you need to be uh, just aware of, of what you're voting for, and I think those that made that decision were doing it for completely the wrong reasons. In fact, there was a racial um, uh, undertone to the, to the whole thing, actually. Uh, if it's honest, it wasn't about the mayor, it was about Marvin. Um, and it was certainly undemocratic, but I don't want to get into politics, um, but, um, uh, but there we go. I could talk about that at length as well. Um, so uh, it's a big city um, and it has its challenges. Um, and um, I'd say it, it has a history of division, um, north and south, um, rich and poor. Um, and I'd say uh, over the years also, um, you know, there has not been a, um, a, a certainly different now, but a huge sense of, 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 of unity um, across the church um, community. That's very different now, but there's still a lot of, of, of work um, uh, to, to do. Um, and as I said, I think that unity is, uh, is, is a, a fundamental importance. We're going to see uh, a city transform and the church needs to come together in all its forms, in all its expressions, uh, and uh, whatever the history. And, and I'm sure in Bath there's a history of division, history of splits, the same in Bristol, every city, every community, the enemy does not like unity and it will do everything, he will do everything he can to bring disunity. And that's still the case. Um, uh, and uh, these days uh, the enemy will be using specific issues which he knows not particularly clever are gonna bring uh, division. Uh, and you know what those sort of things uh, might be in, in uh, these days in Bristol, it's still uh, racial um, inequality, which is a big issue. Uh, and the whole LGBTQI, I forget how many letters there are these days, that is another area where the enemy seeks to, wing, uh, to, to bring uh, division. Uh, and and that sadly, that, that we, as church, we allow that to happen and we can make choices there uh, in terms of, of, of how we journey with that. Uh, that's a big issue in itself, of course. Um, but I think that um, for me, you know, we often take that verse out of, of, of context, but that's Psalm 133. Now, it is absolutely true that when we come together, that's where God commands the blessing. It's a fundamental truth. But I think for me, um, one of the lessons I, 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 I you know, we're, we're sort of learning, I think, in Bristol is that if it's just the, the church coming together, and, and dwelling together in unity. That's great. We can have amazing times like this. We can have big gatherings and we can journey together. But if we're still not united with the city, if we're still not joined with the city and connected with it, then in a sense, we're in a safe place as far as the enemy is concerned because we're just having a good time, uh, unified, and, and that's great. And my sense is, I think, the challenge for us as church, are we just as passionate about working together as church as we are of working together with other parts of the city, other sectors of the city? Are we passionate about working with our local authority? Are we passionate about working with business? Are we passionate about working across the charitable sector, whether they are um, uh, you know, Christian charities or not? And you know, how on earth can we see a city transformed if we're not being that salt and light within the context of being confident enough in our own identity as, as church to be able to get out there and, uh, and really get involved in seeing a city united? And we had the a privilege, um, uh, one of the Marvins, I guess, legacies will be 
uh, creating what we uh, what is known as the, um, the one city approach in Bristol. And, and back in 2020, we published the one city plan. Um, and um, uh, I had the privilege of chairing the meeting at City Hall where this was launched. And I was able to stand up at the front of the hall. Um, there were probably 200 people there, maybe 20 or 30 Christians. And I could see the twinkle in their eye because I was able to stand up and hold that up and say, I think this is amazing. This, I couldn't say, you know, this, 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 this is a, speaks prophetically over the city. <laughs> but I sort of, I forget what I said, something like this speaks something so positively over a city like Bristol, uh, where it effectively what we're saying is when the city comes together, something very special happens. I would love to have said, God commands a blessing. But it does. Um, and on that, it says this, this, these words were not written by church. They were not written by Christians. It says this in 2050, Bristol is a fair, healthy and sustainable city, a city of hope and aspiration where everyone can share in its success. That's kingdom language, isn't it? That's kingdom language. It's amazing. Um, and that plan is still in place. And hope is that with the mayor... Uh, no longer, um, well, Marvin no longer being in place and no longer having a mayor in just under two years' time, that they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, because that's my fear. And we were talking this morning about Marvin. How do we ensure that post uh, a, a mayoral system that we still keep this approach, that we've learned the lesson that coming together as a unified city is so important? if we're gonna get things done, if we're gonna uh, find ways to, to see a city transform, not just spiritually, but socially, economically, and environmentally in every, in every single way. Um, I guess the other thing, and, and um, one of the, uh, I won't bore you with my story, but um, 15, 16 years ago when I hit 50, uh, it was a big time for me. It's interesting, blokes often, when they get to their late 40s into their 50s, God often does something. There's a, there's a pivot, there's a, a point where, you know, you, you can use a lot of the experience that you've had, good and bad, and God can redeem that. And then you, you, you're into a, a different season. That was the case for me. I, I got to a point where uh, I'd been working full-time in business. I sensed that God wanted me to, to let go of that and to go part-time. Uh, I was elder, elder at Woodlands. I needed to let that. I needed to let things go and just take a risk. Um, and I guess for me, I, I, I spent the last 15 years, people say, what do I do? I mean, I do lots of things. I'm involved in lots of charities. I do a lot with Marvin and stuff. Actually, really what I do is I drink a lot of coffee and talk to a lot of people and join dots. It's not rocket science. It's not clever uh, in that sense. And I, did, but I didn't set out 15 years ago to, to do that. But the reality, the lesson I've learned and I think, uh, I think a lot of people realize that actually um, there's something about taking time one-on-one -on -one to build relationship. Obviously starting with your family and your wife and so but actually if you're gonna, if you're gonna impact a city, if everyone in this room invested some time each week to meet up with a number of people one-on-one -on -one for an hour over a coffee or a cup of tea or whatever it might be and build a relationship, you would see over time a community, a city transformed. We think, you know, transformation comes from big gatherings and, and big meetings, and of course that's part of it, but actually relationship brings that sense um, of trust over time. Trust brings influence, and influence brings transformation. It's really simple. It's really simple. And, um, um, and everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Relationship brings trust. 
brings influence, it brings transformation. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, if we as just church leaders uh, were willing to find time, you know, to do that, not just within your own church, not just within your own network of leaders, but across it, find somebody within, you know, the local authority, find somebody, you know, um, your local politician, find somebody who runs a business nearby, or chat, whatever it is, just get, reach out to them, offer to meet up for coffee, get to know them. Relationship, trust, influence, transformation. Um, I think the other thing um, that, that is interesting, of course, is in we're, we're in the sort of, I guess, are we in a post-pandemic world? I mean, my wife said this morning, when did we last hear any information about the numbers of people? You know, who, it's, it's, it's almost as if COVID never happened. And maybe that's a, a good thing. Uh, but I think, you know, the reality is you guys, um, you know, I haven't been in church leadership for a long, long time. So I, I don't know what it's like to have gone through COVID and wonder, <laughs> What on earth is going on with with church these days, and and the and the challenge that has brought you guys in having to do it online and then coming back into the room and wondering whether what, all of that all of that stuff, but you know, um, and I'm you know a lot of what I'm saying this morning is not particularly new, it's not particularly groundbreaking at all, um, but I guess one of the questions I think that we've talked about it you know a number of times, one of the questions is what does church look post look like post-pandemic because I think if it looks if we're seeking to see church look exactly as it did pre-pandemic the enemy's won the game he would love that he would love it if we just returned to the way that we did church pre-pandemic he would love it if we were just meeting in large gatherings bringing people from across the communities in our city um, and having wonderful times together, actually, I think, and I don't mean that harshly, but I think he would, because there's a sense in which um, I think one of the things we learned was to be a little bit more incarnational in the way that we, we do church, a little bit more informal, you know, and actually even post-pandemic, we couldn't all come together in big spaces like this. My sense is that it's a both end. You know, I love big gathered church. I'm, I'm part of Woody's in Bristol, and we love coming together. Um, but I think it's got to be both those times of coming together, but also those times of seeing small incarnational expressions of church in every community. The reality is that, you know, the big churches in Bristol uh, are, are basically pulling people in from all of those places where actually church needs it most. That's the sad thing. I go to every deprived neighbourhood in Sicily and I see a deprived church. I see four or five churches in Hartcliffe and Lawrence Western and Hengrove and Stockwood, Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Anglican Church, an ex-Brethren church that's trying to up, it, up its game a little bit, whatever it might be. And all of them are struggling. And the reality is there are Christians in those communities. I live in Long Ashton, just outside Bristol. Within 50 yards of me, I can think of eight or ten families that are Christians. We all travel in to Bristol. We go to Seven Vineyard and Christchurch and Woody's and so on and so forth. And I just sense that if we're going to see a city transformed, we do it piece by piece. We see communities transformed. We can only do that if there's expressions of church there. 
Um, but I think we've got to reimagine what, what uh, actually church looks like. And, um, you know, we in Bristol, we've got 300 churches, bits of land, property, huge number. I would say less than 10 of those assets are being fully utilized for the kingdom all through the week. We have huge amounts of assets, and I'm sure it's exactly the same in Bath. Buildings, land, property, resources that we have that are not fully utilized. Um, and sadly, I would say if over the next few years, if we simply allow that status quo to continue, we will see a third, a half of those disappear, sold off, and disappear as potential expressions of the kingdom in each community. And we can do something about that. They're assets. We own them. We, as church, own them. They might be owned by the Baptists or... Anglicans or whatever, but actually there's an opportunity to reimagine what they can be. And we're already seeing wonderfully in Bristol, uh, you know, Seven Vineyard recently getting access to a large um, uh, struggling Methodist church just in Totterdown, huge building, and they're going to have a community hub. I'm not going to call it church, it's a community hub. It's church, but it's reimagined. It's a place where every day of the week they're going to have people coming in who have never experienced church before. We've got another example in, in North Bristol where um, a, a thriving Anglican church is just about to, to swap its building with a struggling um, Baptist church, where they've got a church, that Baptist church, got a church where in the 1930s, 1,200 people came on a Sunday to worship. Now it's about 30. But they've been imaginative enough, enough across denominations to say, well, if we swap buildings, we'll have a building that's more suitable for us. And the Anglican church can use that building throughout this. Throughout this. So little things like that, reimagining the way that we, and thinking outside the, um, you know, the, the limits of, of our usual sort of denominational sort of way that we do stuff. And, um, and I, you know, I've longed for that to happen. I still think, a lot of that property that we as church own, we can we can reimagine. We can, housing's the biggest need in Bristol. In which case, build houses. <laughs> Still have an element of community, but we we can create a, a, a real literal sense of kingdom community by contributing towards the, the biggest need that the city has. And what do we do? We connect, and we're relevant. The big struggle with church these days, we have, you know, the first generation that's largely unchurched, is that we have become largely disconnected with our community, and we have become, to a degree, not irrelevant, but less, far less relevant than we were. Well, so what if we look at each of our communities across our cities, and what's their biggest need? Is it families? Is it older people? Is it people who are lonely, struggling with mental health and well-being? Is it housing? What is it? We, can, we have all the resources that we need to be able to meet that need in every single community. And, and it might not be church in the usual historic sense of the word, which is about as far removed from New Testament church as we could get. We're actually creating something that is much more aligned to, I think, what God intended as church, which is a, a place in the community where people come and there we build relationship, we build connection, and we uh, we see lives um, transformed. Um, I think I'll end here, and, and I think the the uh, I think the urgent thing uh, is it's now. Um, you know, if we look at the context of where we are, uh, you know, we're coming out of COVID, and we're coming into possibly the the biggest. Um, cost of living crisis that this country has seen for, for many generations. Um, 
we're moving towards double di double digit uh, inflation. Uh, and we have uh, a lot of um, legacy coming out of COVID in terms of mental health and well-being, as I mentioned, people uh, increasingly in debt, et cetera, et cetera. We're in a, a pretty tough place. But within the context of that, this is where the church and that, uh, that sense of hope uh, that the message of good news brings is it's when it's needed. It's now. It's now. And I think there's a season of opportunity now in Bristol. Um, you know, in a sense, the next two years is key because we're going to, you know, there's a political change, a political context. And of course, nationally, there's a degree of political uncertainty at the moment. So all of that, you know, we can easily say, well, we've got to get things. So yeah, 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 yeah. But now, I think God's call is is now to uh, to really uh, get stuck in. Um, now that might be not be what you want to hear because all you guys are tired and struggling and all of those issues. But I think it's a now, it's a now word. Um, uh, you know, to to create that sense of of connectivity and so forth. Let me just one. Can I share very briefly two little prophetic words? And one was from this morning. Um, I was uh, over there, and, and um, you know, in the context of you guys coming together, I just really I had a picture. It was a really unusual picture. It was a series of trees right across the city, um, and um, uh, there was a, there was a sort of a root system that connected all of them. Uh, and, but but I saw that, that it was gradually more more trees were, were who were, that were struggling. Uh, were being grafted in to this extraordinary root network across the city, and of course those trees were were you guys. They were they were expressions of church in the community. But it was a lovely sense of interconnectivity, but also a sense as each tree um, was grafted in to that extraordinary sort of ecosystem, if you will, of, of life and, and fruitfulness. Then you could see that different shapes of tea, different types of tree, um, different types of fruit. But there was a real sense of a, of a growing network of interconnectivity um, right across the city. There wasn't one big tree or half a dozen big trees. There were some big ones, some small ones. And I, I just sense that, that you know that, that's just the, that God wants that that sense of connectivity. And where maybe some of those trees, some of those churches have sensed, sensed a little bit out on the on the limb uh, and struggling it a bit. That connectivity will bring that sense of new life and refreshment, and and uh, being part of something that God's doing a, a, across the city. And lastly, um, I should shut up, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> lastly, I just wanted to uh, back in February, um, I, I was speaking at, at, at Woody's, um, and I had a um, Dave Mitchell, um, who's a leader there, just said, "Look, you know, speak about what you like," and and which was a bit of a risk. Um, and uh, and I, uh, in the week leading up, I I I could barely, I don't have much sleep at the best of times. I'm always up at ridiculous times of the day. Um, but I I I just sensed God putting something on my heart uh, that was as much a challenge for me as it was for anyone. Um, and it was this. It was it was very simply. If Jesus came to Bristol or Jesus came to Bath for the day, um, what would we expect him to do? And what, we, what would we as church expect? Um, there's a sense in which that, you know, well, if, if Jesus was visiting for the day, well, what would we do? Well, we want to make a big deal of it. 
Now, we want to organise a conference, so we want to have to get the biggest venue we could, and we don't want to be there, and we want to invite people in, we want to hear what he's got to say. And I sense, just as I was laying awake at night a few nights running, that actually that's the last thing that he would want to do. You see, you know, we might think, we want to hear what, you know, words of encouragement, we want to hear what his heart is for the city, we want to hear, you know, what he wants, what's his, what's his call on us as church to be doing. And I just sense he's saying, well, you've got it. It's called the word. You look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, the call is clear in terms of what our role as church is. Uh, to get out there and to bring that message of, of hope. We don't need, in a sense, him to come to a big conference. Again, you know, if we're stuck in a conference room all day and we've got Jesus to ourselves, that's not a good look. And I, real, I literally had this picture of, and I'll keep it short because it was a bit longer when I spoke, that, you know, I just wondered that day, I think he'd, he'd, he'd start off a, at a cafe on Stapleton Road with a bunch of Syrian refugees, and a little charity locally that's working with them. And he speak words of hope in terms of welcome and, and community and healing. And he'd go from there when he'd drive up the hill and, and he'd, he'd, um, he'd, he'd end up, he'd join a, a, a lovely black pastor as a mate of mine, Ray Vieira, who runs a, a weekly, um, a weekly um, class with, with um, half a dozen prisoners in Bristol Prison. And he'd join them for an hour. And, and Jesus would just listen and he'd, he'd, he'd just share words of hope to those guys who, who have come from broken backgrounds. And uh, he'd speak words of hope that actually there, there was a, a real sense that that life they'd lived could be redeemed. And out of, when they come out of prison, there'll be a real sense of, of, of hope again, that they can turn it around. And he'd drive past, and he'd drive past that church that used to have 1,200 people, and it's rattling around. And he'd drive past with a twinkle in his eye, knowing that um, sometime soon that church that, that resounded to the sounds of 1,200 people, it would happen again soon, because he knew it would happen. And he'd drive down to the bottom, um, uh, and, and he'd come into the centre, and here's one for you, Nigel. Uh, he would he'd pop into a massage parlour on Stokes Croft, and he'd join a couple of the team from Beloved. And he would look into the eyes of those women, who had never been looked at by a man like that before, because they've suffered abuse. And whenever a man looked at them, it was with eyes of lust. And Jesus would look into their eyes, and for the first time they saw someone who looked at them with respect and love and acceptance, and there was renewed hope that it was a different life that they could lead. And he'd go across uh, the river, and he'd go into South Bristol, and um, uh, he'd go to a little church, an Anglican church down in Hartcliffe, a lovely guy called Derek, and um, really struggling you know, really struggling church in the toughest part of the city, felt disconnected from the diocese, didn't feel that the bishop really cared about him. And he'd go and spend some time with Derek and he'd encourage him. And Derek would come from that with renewed hope that actually that, that church that he ran could be reimagined. Actually, since then, they, they've got plans to, to put some housing on the site, which is great. So, um, so you know, just to, but that renewed hope that Jesus would bring. He'd drop into a little um, charity in South Bristol called The Haven uh, for disabled people. 
um, and and he'd spend some time there, and he'd spend time, and he'd he'd, he'd spend time with with people who could barely communicate, and Jesus would just look them in the eye, and he, and they would have a renewed sense of acceptance and relevance and importance, despite the fact that they'd be uh, been rejected by society. Um, and so he'd go around the, the city, and you know, for me, um, you know, that speaks so much of 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 what Jesus is about. It's relational. It isn't about standing in front of big crowds of people. Of course, he did that biblically, but the most important work he often did, the lovely stories we read of, were of a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jesus that brought transformation, that brought renewed hope. Um, and, and of course, the reality is that every time, you know, Peter, with your guys, you know, when, when you do through Genesis, you know, what all of you guys do, whether you're involved in church or charity, Every time you spend some time with someone, Jesus is with you. And you're doing exactly what Jesus does. You're bringing words of hope. Uh, and out of those relationships will come not just absolutely transformation of individuals' life, but transformation of a community, transformation of a city. Um, I've said too much. I'll shut up. Yeah. Bless you. Thanks.